Hey everybody, welcome to the Outpost Community Church Podcast. My name's Addison, I'm on staff here as the youth pastor. We are currently going through the book of Matthew, and so we hope you enjoy listening and have a wonderful week of worship. All right, guys, why don't you guys stand? Let's go to Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to read this together. And then we're going to kick off. Uh, in Matthew 12, <clears throat> you guys can go to verse 38. That's where we're going to start. Okay? This is the word of the Lord. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he, Jesus, answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, something greater than Solomon is here. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes to find the house empty, swept, And put in order, then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Mm, What what am I going to do with that? Uh, Hey, guys. uh, I want to tell you the story of how I came to Cody. Uh, I wasn't born in Cody. I wasn't raised in Cody. I was born in Roswell, New Mexico. Okay, you can ask me questions about that later. But uh, I actually was in North Carolina working at a uh, Teen Valley Ranch Christian Camp and Retreat Center. Beautiful place. I don't know that anybody there is listening to what I'm saying right now uh, or will in a podcast. But we loved serving there. My wife grew up there as a kid and then served there as an adult. We met there. We married there. And uh, I got to serve four years. Well, towards the end of that, Bonnie and I began to pray about going into missions. We wanted to serve God in, you know, at the time what I would call world missions. You know, that's what I thought about. And so we went to, I went to China for a couple weeks uh, in 2013 and came back, didn't feel like the Lord was leading us there. And then uh, I was, one thing I knew I did not want to do is I did not want to be a pastor. I vocalized that. I said that out loud. I do not want to be a pastor. Bonnie and I made an agreement before we even started dating that I was never going to become a pastor because she didn't want to become a pastor's wife. And I was like, good, we're good. And so uh, after nine months of praying and seeking the Lord and trying to find out what he wanted us to do and nobody wanted to take me because I didn't have a a bachelor's degree quite yet. And so we're trying to figure out what to do. Uh, The director of our camp was like, hey, I think you need to consider being a lead pastor. And I was like, (laughs) never. No, not a lead pastor. What did I just say? Did I say lead pastor? He said, you should consider being a youth pastor. And I was like, never, okay? I do not want to do that. Well, months went by and finally I was like, okay, fine, I'll do it. I'll at least throw out my resume. 
which was not much. It was like worked at Wendy's, served at daycare, worked at Teen Valley Ranch. And I'm partially through a degree. And, uh, and then I also put on there, hey, I struggle with a porn- pornography addiction I'm trying to work through. I put all these things in there. And I was like, they're all going to say no. It's like here, so like I, I just, this is my personality. Is I was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it my own way. And so the next thing I did, so the first thing I did was I got on the website of the Christian and Missionary Alliance denomination because uh, we were going to a Christian Missionary Alliance church in Boone, North Carolina. So I got on their website. And I saw this, this uh, listing for a youth pastor job in Cody, Wyoming. Didn't know where Wyoming was. Didn't know where Cody was. Um, I was like, okay, Google search. My first search after I figured out where it was was, do they have rock climbing? Because I was a rock climber. And so from then on, I was like, you know what? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to look up every rock climbing area that I've always wanted to live near. And I'm going to apply at churches around there. And I didn't care. I just was like, fine. And I sent them out to all these churches around all these climbing areas all over the United States. Um, so again, I'm going to do it my way, okay? And uh, so the first church I applied to was Cody Missionary Alliance Church. And so sent my resume in, sent out about 10 other resumes to all these other places. First church I applied to was CMA. First church to tell me no was CMA. I remember I was sitting in the kitchen. I was cooking up some eggs for a group, and uh, somebody brought me a letter that I'd gotten. So I opened it, read it, and it was... Uh, hey, sorry, we're not interested, signed Mark Price. Anybody remember Mark Price? Like hand-signed Mark Price, okay? Which I found out Janine typed it, he signed it, that's how it went. And so I got it, and here's, no joke, it's my thought. I was, I'm in a, like an apron and all this, and I read it, and I was like, man, that didn't feel right, and I threw it away. I don't know why, but I just threw it away, went back to making eggs, went and did my thing. I don't care, I don't know where Cody Wyoming is anyways. And so I went about my day, and then what ended up happening is the next couple of weeks, I got about eight more no's, which is wonderful. Actually, the church in Casper sent me uh, a message saying they would be interested in talking with me, but it was a little too late. And uh, <clears throat> anyways, three weeks later, I get an email that says, hey, it's from Mark Price. Uh, sorry for that letter. We would love to have a conversation with you, which in my mind was like, it's that bad, huh? <clears throat> And so I sent an email back, and I said, hey, uh, I'd love to talk with you. I'm free this whole weekend. Just let me know. 45 minutes later, I get a phone call, and it's Mark Price and Kelly Carnahan. You remember Kelly Carnahan? Yeah. All right. I was on a phone call with those two uh, crazies, and we're on the phone, and it was a blast. We were dying laughing. We were talking. A week later, we were in Chattanooga, Tennessee, visiting Bonnie's parents, and uh, we were doing a Zoom call or Skype at the time. And so uh, we're doing a Skype call, and it was with their whole team, and it was just a riot. We were laughing. They were asking me theological questions that I was completely making up. I was like, I have no idea what I'm talking about. And uh, then two weeks after that, they flew us to Cody, Wyoming. So we're on a mad rush. It's been over a year of praying, and now we're on this mad rush. And we get there, and we we get to Cody, and it's, uh, it's, it's March, and it snowed every day that we were here. And they told us, we promise it's not like this. Uh, normally. And so we're, we're touring and I'm talking and all these things. Well, one day I'm sitting in Mark Price's dining room. It's me, it's Bonnie, it's Mark. We're having breakfast and we're sitting there talking. I said, hey man, I got to ask you a question. Why did you send me a letter saying no? And why am I now sitting in your dining room? And he goes, that's a good question. Let me tell you what happened. And this is what I'm going to tell you. So I told you too much, but now let me tell you what I'm going to tell you. <laughs> he goes, you know, what's funny is we had a whole stack of resumes and me and the search team were sitting there, and we were praying through them and talking through them, and we had a no pile and a keep considering pile. 
And as we were talking and we got to yours, we said, let's keep considering this one. But we got distracted, and so we threw it in the no pile because we just forgot. So we threw it in there. He said, we took those. We sent him letters. I took that, and I put it in my file drawer, and we moved on. He goes, but the problem was about a week and a half later, I was sitting, and I was praying over the keep considering, and I did not feel like God was calling me to any of these in the stack. He says, you know what I did? I went over to my file drawer, and I know which drawer it was. He pulled it open. He pulled out all the no's, set them on his desk, went through and was like, no, no, absolutely not. And it came to mind and was like, wait a second. And he, he sent that email. And uh, I know, I'm about to start crying. Um, and he sent that email. He goes, he goes, Greg, I didn't ask the committee. I didn't ask their permission. I just went ahead and did it, and that's why you're here. He goes, God pulled you back out of that no pile, and I just want you to know that. And I've been here 10 years with you jokers. So... <laughs> Praise God, right? Why do I tell you that, guys? I, I tell you that because I'm sure that most every one of you guys at some point has asked God for a sign. You've asked God to just give you some direction, to give you a sign. And you've longed for a message. Maybe you've longed for a healing. You've longed for a miracle in your life to show you that God is using you, that he's taking you somewhere, that he wants to do something, that you could just trust him. It's a common feeling. Anybody, raise your hand if you've ever felt like that. You prayed for a sign. Me too. Now, here's the thing about Bonnie and I, okay? Our commitment to follow Jesus was already established before we started doing those prayers. Whether or not we got a sign that we should come to Cody, Wyoming or not, we were going to follow Jesus regardless. If I had done that trip and went home and God just gave us no clarity, I just would have kept following Jesus regardless of you and your existence and what's going on here in Cody. I would have followed him, okay? But I want you to imagine for a second after hearing that story, that Bonnie and I got on our flight, we flew back to North Carolina, and then the first thing I did was I got on my email and said, hey, thank you for the offer. We do not feel God is telling us we should be there. What if I had said that? Some of you guys would go, like, I think your feelings might be wrong, right? So here's my point. It's one thing to ask God for a miracle, ask God for a sign, ask for direction. But the real question is, if God gave it to you, what would you actually do? That's the real question. What would you actually do? Would you thank him and then go on living your usual life? Would it change anything about the way you live? Would you give more of your heart and your soul and your life to him if he showed you? What would you actually do, guys? Have you thought about that? This is the question that we're going to be looking at today. And here's why I think it, we need this message today. So many of us are asking for signs. We're attending services. We're going to our Bible studies. We're seeking, we're seeking, we're seeking. But we're not progressively surrendering our whole heart to God's leadership. No matter what we learn, we remain no more committed to God than we were a year ago. No matter the signs we see, Right? We keep Jesus on a tier three, tier four priority rather than being the one who governs all the priorities of our life. It does not change anything. And I'm so amazed by the words I hear that God's saints say around here. Listen, when the Brookses, the Monfelts, and the Kleinfelts set out and prayed about planting Outpost Community Church, our thought was not on your opinions. We did not care what any of you thought, and we still don't care what you think. We did not set out to plant a church for you. 
We set out to plant a church for God. And we just wanted to be a group of people who said, listen, what would happen if we just said, God, you can have our entire heart. We want to follow you. We don't need a sign. You've given us signs. We just want to give you more of us. What if we did this? What if we just committed that we want to be a group of people who read God's word and said, you know what? Let's do that. Let's do what it says. We wanted to be a group of people who could be honest about our sin and say, hey, listen, I'm messed up. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes and be loved in, in spite of all that, be counseled biblically, be faithfully admonished by our friends. We wanted to pursue one another. We just wanted to live as God's church. That's all that's the description of. And we didn't want to do it because somebody was telling us to do it. We wanted to do it because God had called us to do it. We did not set out to plant Outpost Community Church because we wanted to leave CMA a bad church. That's not why we did it. We just felt like God was leading us to say, hey, listen, what could happen if we gave our whole hearts to Jesus and we did it together? What could God do? What could he do in us? And whether any of you or anybody transferred their membership and their money or whatever, we didn't care. If nobody joined us, we were gonna do it anyways. And I love what my friends in Montfeld told me this past week or two weeks ago. If all of you decided you didn't want to do it anymore, we would still do it together. We did not do this for you. We did this for the Lord, and we just wanted to see what's God going to do. And we, want to, and we know our hearts are not fully God's. I think that's the only thing that makes people maybe uh, better and more faithful followers of Jesus. It's just the honesty to go, I'm not that good. That right there determines so much. Humility is so attractive, and it is so helpful in pursuing Jesus. And so we just said, listen, that's, we, just want to, we just want to follow God. And so we didn't want to see people transfer. We didn't invite any. I, listen, I, invite, I did not invite any person from any church, despite what some, some pastors may say from pulpits. And this is why I'm saying getting spicy. Listen, I don't care what they say and what they've told you. It's an utter lie. I would love, if you think that I invited you or somebody, come chat with me about it. I would love for you to tell me who it is. I know one person I said that they needed to leave their church. And the reason why I told them was not because of their church, because of them. This is recorded. I'm so thankful. <laughs> I don't care. Listen, guys, this, time, it's, this message has really rocked me this week. Because it's made me realize it is time to stop playing games and start asking, are we going to do something about what God has told us? Or are we going to sit around and worry about everybody's opinions all around us? What my heart thinks, what your heart thinks, what my parents' heart thinks, what other pastors might think, or are we just going to simply go, hey, stop worrying about everybody thinks and just go, do I want to follow God? If I want to follow God, do I need to keep praying for signs? And so here we go. Here's the main point. Believing in and submitting to the authority of Jesus frees you from condemnation and protects you from spiritual invasion. This message, listen, I feel like every passage I teach, I feel like is like the one thing we all need to hear. Because when I spent a week in scripture, I just realized the whole Bible is just so incredibly relevant. Like I had a, like I have a, my brother, I love my brother to death. My brother is doing something really amazing right now. And I'm so incredibly proud of him. He's leading a ministry for correctional officers in prisons. And he just felt like God was like, hey, I just need to do something. And now he told me two weeks in, he goes, I just don't, I don't know, I don't know what to, I'm having a hard time finding something to talk about. And I was like, buddy, are you reading your Bible? Yeah, okay, whatever you read this week, talk about that. 
My problem is I can't find enough time to talk about everything the Bible says. Like I'm looking at this and I'm going, we're never going to get out of Matthew. Right? All right. Listen, believing in and submitting to the authority of Jesus frees you from condemnation and protects you from spiritual invasion. I think we need this so much. So I got two points today. So if you're worried that my intro is too long, just don't worry. This is the first time in two years that I've had two points and not three. It's freed from condemnation, protected from spiritual invasion. You guys want to know how to do that? How to be freed from these? Freed from condemnation. Let's look at this. I want to reread what the Pharisees say right here. I think it's so important that you be reminded of the context. Verse 38, look at, it with your, look at it with your eyes. Look at your Bible. It says, Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and an adulterous generation seeks for a sign. Okay, let me just do a couple things, because I think uh, we got to bring some clarity. But first, let me give some credits to the religious leaders, all right, before we tear them apart, which we're going to do. First, the scribes and the Pharisees are the spiritual guardians of their generation. Okay, what does that mean? It means they're tasked with guarding the doctrine, calling people to covenantal faithfulness, and disciplining those who do not order their lives around it. That is Chet's job, my job, and Eric's job here at this church. That's what we're called to do. Second, their request comes on the heels of Jesus saying something that is crazy, that he is greater than David, he's greater than the priests, he's greater than the temple, and he's greater than the Sabbath. That's not like a, I've memorized more scripture than you. It's like a, hey, you have breath and a heartbeat because I made you. It's a God-type attribute, statement. Third thing, the request for a sign is not uncommon in the Old Testament. I don't know if you've ever read the Old Testament, but the scriptures uh, are kind of filled with opportunities or where, where, where these stories of people asking God for a sign. Moses is given signs to authenticate his authority on behalf of God. You guys remember that? His staff, right? Okay, his hand turning to a leper. Gideon requests for a sign from the Lord to confirm God's promises. You guys remember this? It's like the most famous. What did he throw out? A fleece. Elijah asked God to prove his power on a mountain in front of 450 prophets of Baal by setting down fire to burn up a sacrifice. Okay, the quest itself is not exactly evil and adulterous. God is gracious and merciful and will at times reveal wonderful miracles of his grace and kindness to those who call on his name. He does. He's done it in my life when I've asked. Requesting God to show his power to you as the church is not necessarily evil and adulterous. So what the question is, what makes this evil and what makes it adulterous? That's the question, right? It's the heart behind it. Listen, the heart behind the Pharisees' request is the same heart as Satan's. It is a demonic, satanic request. Why do I say that? If you go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, Satan asked Jesus to give him a sign. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. That's a sign. Prove it to me. Show me who you are, Jesus. But let me ask you, church, if Jesus had turned the stones into bread, which he doesn't, do you think that Satan would have given Jesus his allegiance? Do you think it would have changed anything in his life? Absolutely not. This is what is evil about a request for a sign. Is if you're standing in a field of 100 burning bushes, begging for a sign 
but you've got no plan of doing anything if he gave it to you, that's an evil request. And what you're doing is you're setting yourself up as judge of Jesus. I'll follow you if you just show me that you're it. And as Chet said, if you do that, you need to realize what you're doing. You're setting yourself up as authority over Jesus. And Jesus does not do what Satan says, because number one, he does not need Jesus' or Satan's approval. And he trusts his father. So he doesn't need God to prove him, his father to prove himself to him, and he doesn't need to prove himself to Satan. He goes, not, not doing it. So that is what makes it an evil request. Behind their request, they had no desire to do anything anyways. Jesus had just healed a demonically possessed, blind, and mute man. What's another sign going to do if you're not going to follow him? And we know that there's been hundreds of these that the Pharisees are aware of because these are Galilean leaders. And Jesus has been doing most of his ministry in Galilee. Okay. What makes it adulterous? Here's what makes this request for a sign adulterous. What makes it adulterous is based on their question and some of the things that they have said, they have shown that their following of God is circumstantial. If it actually costs them something, they're not going to do it. Because listen, if they would just go ahead and acknowledge that what Jesus is doing is of the Lord, that this has got to be God. Listen to what he's teaching. Listen to what he's doing or see what he's doing. This has got to be God. If they did, they're going to lose their position of leadership in their community. They're going to lose their finances. Right? They're going to be kicked out of the synagogue. They're, they're gonna, it's going to come at a loss for their life. And what they're showing by not submitting to the authority of Jesus, guys, is at the end of the day, Pharisees just like themselves some Pharisees. They've got their heart, their heart's mind set on one thing, and it's what they want. And so they'll use religion to get it, and when it doesn't serve them, they'll use their own pathways. You hear what I'm saying? How do I see us do this here in the church? And I'm not going to criticize any other church, but this one right here standing on the stage, and you guys out here. The way I see us doing this evil request is this. How often I hear people say, including myself, I just need another Bible study. I just need a Bible study. I just need a Bible study. I just need a Bible study. And I go, you need a Bible study for what? What exactly are you needing this Bible study for? Let me ask you, are you reading your Bible every day? Like I'm talking to you members. Are you reading your Bible every day? Don't we put on a Bible study every Sunday? What do you think this is? It's a Bible study. If you attend another Bible study, what's it going to do to actually change your life? The biggest problem that you have is not a knowledge issue. It's a submission to Jesus issue. You learning more of your Bible just makes you a smarter sinner. That's all it does. You now know more of the things that you're not willing to do anyways. What's another miracle going to do for you? That was my biggest problem as a follower of Jesus who was young and is in the church. I go, I'm tired of reading this and looking up and going, when are we going to ever do any of it? When are we going to do this thing? Can I get somebody to tell me how to do this thing? I just want to do this thing. And that's why I told you at the beginning, our prayer was not that we are so great, let us go show everybody how it's done. Our prayer was like, listen, we don't know how to do it, can we just try to do it at least? I'm tired of reading it and not trying. In church, I'm tired of 
You should be as well, is what I should say. You should be as well. How many Sunday services have you gone to? What kind of impact has it really made? The problem is not a knowledge issue. And it's not another sign. It's not another Bible study. Uh, this past week, I had a friend tell me about a guy he was talking to. A guy was like, man, yeah, you know, I'm a part of four Bible studies. And I said, I bet you that guy cannot name four people who are helping him walk out his Bible. That's where the shame is in the church. Everybody wants to attend a Bible study because you think that knowledge is moral. Because I know more things, therefore I'm a better human being. No, you're not. The Pharisees know more than all of you, and they will always know more than all of you, and yet many of them are condemned to hell. The problem is not your knowledge. The problem is you don't do anything with what you know. Church, I get it. I'm the same way. But follow me as I follow Jesus by placing myself into a group of people, placing myself before the Bible in the morning going, all right, I'm going to read this Bible, but God, I need this Bible to read me. And then I'm going to go to this community and I'm going to say, guys, if you see some things in me that are not of the Lord, would you faithfully wound me so that I might be more of what Jesus wants me to be? Because I hate what I am and I would like to be like Jesus. Because every time I act like me, I hurt somebody else and I hurt myself. But every time I'm like Jesus, people try to hurt me, but I'm good. And it is a blessing, people. I love it. So wound me, counsel me, teach me, encourage me, uh, spur me on to love and good deeds. You know that's all in the Bible? Anybody surprised by that? You're going, oh, well, I need a Bible study to tell me that. No, you don't. I say it every Sunday. That's one of the ways we see it. It's evil for you to continue to say, I need another Bible study, but you won't actually do anything it says. That's the evil. And listen, it's okay to not be good at it. It's okay. That's not evil. It's okay. It's just not okay to continue to stay there thinking that God's okay with you staying there. Because no, there is no stay, uh, staying still in the kingdom of God. You're either progressing or you're regressing. Hey, how is it adulterous? I see Christians willing to follow Jesus and talk about Jesus whenever it serves them, but not when it may cost them. I am amazed that when I post something about like sexuality uh, like that's in the culture or I repost something or whatever or about abortion or make a post, I am amazed at some of the things that Christians will say to me on Instagram. I'm like, okay. Uh, as I posted about the rainbow colors, you showed your true colors. And here's what I'm gonna say. I, I'm not trying to set myself up as elite and better than everybody, but here's what I'm saying, guys. Is your Christianity, your walk with Jesus private or is it personal? There is a difference. If Christianity and following Jesus is gonna cost you something, is that when you go, uh, not ready for that yet. Jesus is not inviting us into this walk with him, but we also get to just keep the world as well. Now, I understand if you're trying to work this out and you're trying to uh, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, just like me, totally get it, I'm there with you. But if you're going, hey, I'm gonna follow Jesus when it's comfortable, but when it's not comfortable, I'm out. Okay, I'm letting you know that in the next several years, you're gonna find it getting very uncomfortable. And I know it's already started by how much I see that none of you will say something in public. Men, I'm talking to you specifically, men. Where is our bravery? Where is our courage? Not to go and bash people, 
but just to say, hey, God's got a great way. And let me tell you, I didn't follow God's great way and it ruined me, but I want you to know about God's great way because in walking in God's great way, it has made a such change in my life and given me joy and peace and patience. Maybe men, we're not saying anything because we don't have it. It's time, to, it's time to speak up, guys. Men, to be strong, to stir up in each other as a group of men, that we will at least start with our families, that we'll at least speak up and tell our children who Jesus is. And we'll love them. We're not going to force them to follow him, but we're going to say, listen, you're going to have to make this decision at some point in your life, but I, as your father, I'm going to let you know who God of heaven and earth is. And I'm not scared of what anybody else thinks. I'm going to teach you who he is. The next generation is looking for faithfulness in this generation. Church, are we going to be that generation who is faithful and courageous? Or are we going to be adulterous? Are we going to show our children that we go to church on Sundays, but on Monday they go, I don't see any of it in you. My generation is leaving the church like no other because we watched our parents say one thing on Sunday and act different on Monday. And Jesus is going, that's an evil and an adulterous generation. It's spiritual adultery. I asked my daughter this past week because <clears throat> I'm going through uh, like a survey thing and I wanted to survey my kids and she's the only one that like speaks English competently enough. Um, I said, baby, what, do you, what, what would you say what would you say that your daddy is most passionate about? Like, is it outpost? Is it fitness? Is it mom? Is it you guys? You know, what is it? And with, like, without even missing me, she goes, Jesus. You're passionate about Jesus. And man, it's just like, how crazy. You know what characterized my father? I, I've said this even when I wasn't a Christian. I said, my dad loved drugs and alcohol more than he loved me. And I lost my dad. And I want to be a dad who goes, man, my daughter, when she graduates, she goes, listen, I don't know, I want to follow my dad's God, but there's no doubt he loves his God. Dads, what would happen if we became those dads? We became those kind of men. All right, I said I had two points, and uh, that was a lot. Here we go, let's keep going. So what happens when we walk as an evil and adulterous generation? This is what Jesus says to us, verse 39, look at it, he says, but he answered them. An evil and an adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except for the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with, just, with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. I want to go to Jonah chapter 3. And I want to read this to you because we've got time. Uh, Jonah chapter 3, this is, uh, if you don't know the story of Jonah, you've heard about Jonah, right? Jonah in the belly of the whale, where he gets swallowed by this big sea monster, and then he's spit up on the beach. The whole reason why he's there is because he doesn't want to go and preach repentance, this message that God has given him to the Ninevites. Now, here's what you need to know about the Ninevites. The Ninevites are Assyrians, and Assyrians hated Israel, hated them. And they would go and they would attack these little villages on the edge of Israel and just slaughter people and take their children as slaves. And so Jonah doesn't want to go because he hates these people. He hates what they've done to them, right? You would too. So he's so upset. So he gets swallowed by a whale. He's in there for three days. He gets spit up on a beach, crazy. He goes over to Nineveh and he preaches this message. And I want to show you, this is Jonah chapter 3, what happens. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. 
So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. If you wanted to cross the city on foot, it took you three days. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Not a long message. I'm sure some of you wish I preached like Jonah. Verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them, all, uh, let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. <clears throat> Guys, I know that maybe you heard this in the Jesus story the Bible or on a felt board in Sunday school. This is a real story. This is not some make-believe coloring like Crayola book. They, do you see their response? And when God saw that what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. What does it say? Listen. These guys heard this message from God. They believed that God could actually do it. They mourned their sin. They humbled themselves before the Lord. And they just basically yielded their spirit to God and said, he might do it. We deserve it, but he may give us grace. They repented, which means they turned around. Can you imagine going through a city? And in that city, everything there including their animals, are covered in sackcloth. Like even the cows are repenting. Everybody there is mourning their sin. But those guys are going to judge us because they're going to say, listen, God sent us a prophet Jonah, but God also sent you the prophet Jesus. And Jesus was sent to his enemies, us. And he crushed, he, he crushed sin by being crushed for our sins. And just as Jonah was three days in the belly of a well, your prophet Jesus was three days in the earth? Yeah, it's crazy that he was spit out of a whale, but how does somebody come back from the dead? He comes back from the dead because he defeats death. And, and these guys in Nineveh are going to rise up and say, listen, we, what, we thought what we had was crazy. What you had is absolutely crazy. And you stand condemned because you didn't do anything about it. That's why Paul says, guys, the resurrection matters more than anything else. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Why does Paul put that in there? You're raised from the dead. Because nothing about Jesus matters unless he was raised from the dead. Nothing. Buddha, never raised from the dead. Right? Muhammad, never raised from the dead. Greg Brooks, Billy Graham, and you will never raise from the dead if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, but he did. And it's historically provable. 
And he says, listen, the queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Maybe you haven't read this. I read this recently. This is 1 Kings, Kings 10. Listen to this. This is so good. We got time. Yeah, there's no second service. We canceled it, so we're good to go. Listen to this. Queen of, this is called the queen, of, the queen of Sheba. Listen to this. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, when she heard about him, Concerning the name of the Lord. Like, listen to this. How much they, they're attributing the wisdom of Solomon to God. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with a hard question. She came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue. She's like, I'm going to test this guy. And with camels bearing spices, very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. And Solomon answered all of her questions. And there was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials and the attendance of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers and his burnt offerings that he offered to the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. (laughs) She lost her breath. She's like, wow. She said to the king, the report was true that I heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came And my own eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord God who has delighted in you and set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever. He has made you king that you might execute justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold and very great quantities of spices and precious stones. Never again came such an abundance of spices as these that the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. What, what is this saying? Listen, she, she heard reports of how wise this man was. Couldn't believe it. But yet at the same time was like, all right, let's go check it out. She goes and investigates it. And then she praises Solomon and praises God, believes in God, and honors Solomon because of everything she sees. She goes, clearly you have been blessed by the Lord. And God has set you on this throne. And she will stand as judgment to condemn us because we have somebody wiser than Solomon to lead us. Jesus was only on the earth for three years and nobody's teaching has influenced the entire world like Jesus. Everything good you can point at in Western civilization can be traced back to Jesus. What he said and what he did in a very short period of time changed everything in the world. And she's saying, I thought Solomon was wise and I thought he was a great king that God had sent. You have a greater, wiser king. Shame on you. Now the question we gotta ask our guys, are you willing to come and see Come and investigate. Is Jesus as wise as he says he is? And these Pharisees came and they're seeing his teaching is amazing. Later on, we're going to see that Jesus stands with these Pharisees, the Sadducees, and then a lawyer. And they all come to him, ask him a question. They're trying to test him. And he just like turns it on its head and answers all the questions. You know what it says later in Matthew? And they cease to ask him questions because nobody could beat him. Greg's translation on the second half of that. So the question is, will we investigate? Will we praise Jesus for his wisdom? Or do we think we're wiser than Jesus? 
Will we believe that he is God? Will we honor him with our whole hearts? Or will we think that Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson and Tucker Carlson are all wiser and therefore we should follow them? Or are we going to say, oh, Greg Brooks or Jonathan Pecluda or Todd Wagner or John Piper, they're wiser. Or are you going to look in the mirror and go, you're wiser. We know how to do this. We'll take some of the teachings of Jesus, but we're going to do it our own way. Church, listen to me. Shame on us. And the Queen of Sheba is going to stand and condemn us and say, man, you didn't submit yourself to him. Are you crazy? That, man's, that guy is greater and wiser than Solomon. So what does this teach us? This teaches us in this first point that this, that uh, believing and submitting to Jesus with our whole hearts is what protects us from condemnation. believing and submitting our whole hearts to Jesus is what protects you from condemnation. Jesus does not want smarter sinners. He wants more fully in love saints. He wants to have a relationship with you. What sets you free from condemnation is just going, listen, uh, I am not going to ask you for a sign. You've already proven it to me. So I'm talking to the church in this room. If you said Jesus is your Lord, that's who I'm talking to in this room. Some of you are trying to discover it. You're fine. It's the church who needs to hear this. Shame on us if, like the Pharisees, we say we believe in Jesus, yet every time we hear him tell us to do something, we don't want to do it because we don't want to submit to him. If you want to be protected from condemnation, submit to Jesus. And the second thing we're going to see is this. It reveals how it can protect us from spiritual evasion. This is so important. So Jesus tells them this, and it seems like Jesus takes a left turn here. But what he does is, in typical Jesus fashion, is he tells them a riddle, like a parable. And he doesn't explain this riddle, and I'm going to explain it to you, and hopefully you're going to get it. But let's reread this riddle. He says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil in itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will be with this evil generation. What is Jesus saying? Well, he, he calls you a house. Right? You see that? You're the house. And so this is not talking about any of the exorcisms that Jesus has done. But he's using this as an analogy. He's, trying to, he's giving you a riddle. And this is what it is. You are a house. And you can drive out some of that evil that's in your life. And you can fix up your life. You can get things in order. You can clean up your act. But if you remain spiritually vacant, then you are susceptible to something far worse happening in your life than what you had before. I want to tell you all something. Listen, uh, if you're older than me, that's fine. You don't want to trust me, it's great. But just trust me. In all the years of doing ministry, I have seen this happen every single year of ministry. Every year. I'm up to 14 years. Every single year, I've seen a friend or a person do this. What does it happen? I see people come into the church, and they start to clean things up. They get their act in order. They start to do some stuff. And on the outside, the external look of them, you go, man, it looks like they're following Jesus. It looks like things are getting better for them. They're not doing certain things. They're starting to do certain things. But something happens, and it always showcases who their heart really belongs to. They'll start to isolate. They'll start to pull away when things get tough, when sins start to get addressed, 
when you start to really deal with those things and they start to press in. Now at Outpost, we've made that a heartbeat of who we are. So these people squirt out really fast here. But in other churches, they linger and turn into wolves and they eat people. Here, I called a shepherd. We carry clubs and we like to beat those people out of here. Okay, that's totally metaphorically set. Like I'm not, we don't actually do that. I hope you trust that I've never beat somebody with a club out of here. But I have actually, I, we have said, you have to leave. Because we're addressing something. And what happens is they isolate. They begin to blame shift. It's everybody else's fault. Right? They become really bitter. They lash out with their words and the way they talk and the way they act. Right? And then they end up falling away. And here's what I've seen is their lives do not get better. They get worse. They learned a few more things and felt like they were righteous. And then they get exposed. And what ends up happening is because there's a spiritual vacancy in their life, they get flooded with more commitment to evil than we saw in them to start. It's freaky. And so, guys, I want to tell you, listen, this, what Jesus is trying to tell you is Jesus is not interested in your behavioral modification. He is interested in invading your heart and possessing you. Jesus wants to live within you. He wants to own you. He wants to control the house. And you've got to decide, friend, whether or not you're going to let Jesus be the owner and the authority of your house. And here's what I'll tell you. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, this is what we found, right? Monfelds will agree with me. What we found is Jesus will absolutely, if you let him take ownership of you in your life, he will Take you to rooms in your house where you're hiding sin. He will take you there. If you don't feel comfortable with that, don't invite him in. But trust me, it's so much better if you do. But he will walk up and he will point at a door and say, can we talk about what's behind here? He will absolutely do it. Absolutely. And it is so hard and painful. But like a good spring cleaning, ladies, when that stuff is gone and it's over there and it's in the you know, in the senior center, and you look at that organized closet, praise Jesus, hallelujah. Thank you that I admitted I have a hoarding problem. And you, some of you guys, listen to me. I love you. I'm not saying this condemn you. You're hoarding sin in your life, and that shame is destroying you. And so that's why at Outpost we say we want this to be a place where you could confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you might find healing. That's what James 5.16 says. That's what God wants for you. And so we open closets around here. Man, if that makes you feel uncomfortable, we get it. Maybe you're not ready. But at the end of the day, the people in here who are becoming healthy and healed are those who are letting Jesus take them to the closets. You know what he'll also do? He will take you and that house on a painful journey. Following Jesus does not mean your life is about to get easy. It means your life is going to get really stinking hard but you're going to have a peace and a joy like you've never had in your entire life. And you will be protected from spiritual invasion. You're not, going to, you're not going to be as worried about what your mother thinks about you anymore. You're going to get over those dad wounds you had because your dad abandoned you as a child. You're going to be able to get past the way that your husband treats you. You're going to be able to do these things. And it's going to be painful, but God's going to be working in you and changing you and growing you. And what's going to happen is what used to be a cardboard house that you were, which was fragile, could be blown over, right, spray with a little water and fold in, and it's going to turn into beams. That concrete's going to turn into have rebar in it. 
And you're going to become somebody who, when the storm comes, in the power of Jesus, because he owns your house and he's been renovating, you will be able to withstand the storm. That's why, that's why Paul says, guys, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain, you want to throw me in a pit with a bunch of wild animals? Do it. I've already done it. You want to beat me? Fine. Let me, let me show you the other place I've been beat. You want to leave me out in the middle of the ocean? Great. I've got pretty good at waiting. Right? I, I can do this. For me to live as Christ, to die as gain. He is everything I need. And the only reason I'm still here is apparently because he wants to help me to help you guys out. But if I had a choice, I'm ready for me in this house to go be in the house of the Lord. That's what Paul says. Paul is inviting all of us to have what he has. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty for your sin, but I hope to the Lord you feel convicted for your evil and your adultery spiritually. You have continued to try to lead your house. Stop doing that, church. Let God be the leader of your home. And he will protect you from spiritual evasion. It's going to cost something, but it's worth it. Okay. I want to conclude with this. Let's conclude with 2 Chronicles 16.9. 2 Chronicles 16.9. This is what I want to do. I want to end with a little just, I want you to envision for a moment. Daddies and men in the room, listen to me. Women, I care about you. One of the ways I care about you is I want to talk to the men. Okay? If you think that's sexist, email me. That'd be great. Men, listen to me. I, I'm begging you. As one man to another, I want you to hear first, or Second Chronicles 16, 9. And to you, to you, I'm talking. Some of you, you served in the military and you're more committed and more ready to lay down your life there than you were in the kingdom of God. I just want to ask you to consider something. What could happen? What could happen if we made a decision today, men? We're not going to do this anymore. We're going to confess our sin. We're going to surround ourselves with brothers who are going to love us and encourage us to follow Jesus. We're not going to hold on to the world and everything that it's offering us anymore. We're going to say, you know what, it's time to stop being boys who can shave. It's time to be men in the kingdom of God. Let's raise this bar a little bit. Let's work together. Let's get after it. What would happen if 2 Chronicles 16.9, if God's eyes landed on us? For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. Other versions say, whose hearts are committed to him. Guys, what would happen here and in this town if God's eyes locked in on us and we were those men he was looking for? What would happen? If you're wondering what we got to do, guys, it's simply this. First things first. Let's just admit we've had evil intentions. We've been going to a lot of Bible studies. We're not letting the Bible study us. Let's just admit that. Let's make, that, let's make a change. Number two, there's a lot of things in our life. For me, my television and media, right? Sometimes my fitness schedule. They're just, it's not that those things are bad, and it's okay to have those in your house. It's okay to do those things in your life, but they're having a little bit of an ownership in me. What if I just suddenly said, you know what, TV's going to the basement, fitness schedule is going to go around what I'm doing with the Lord and with my family and my kids, I'm going to push those things aside and I'll go, all right, Lord, it's about you. What do you want from me, Lord? What could happen, guys, if we did that? I've spent the last four years here in Cody, Wyoming, preaching that message alone, inviting dudes to come and jump in and do this. And listen, some of you men in this room have absolutely done that. And what has happened is a little garden of transformation. A little Eden has started to form around you and in your families, and it's amazing. 
the, the Furlan story is just, a, it's just the tip of the iceberg of what God's been doing around here with men whose hearts are fully his. But what would happen if we all just as a group of men said, you know what, enough. Enough is enough. We're not letting Satan win anymore. We're going to give our hearts to Jesus, and we're going to let his kingdom flourish here. Here's a, couple of the cha- here's a few of the challenges we're going to face. One of the challenges you're going to face is doubts. You will have doubts because it will get hard, and you'll question why you're doing it. I promise you'll have doubts. I've had doubts. How many times I've prayed about whether or not I just want to even do this anymore. But then I have people in my life who come around me and go, let me remind you what God has said. Your fears are from the enemy. Let's go with the Lord. So you're going to have doubts. It's going to happen. You're going to get attacked. I promise you, you will be attacked. They will cuss you out on Instagram. If you don't believe me, <clears throat> I'll show you my Instagram. They're going to cuss you out. They are six foot six on, on social media, but it's a matter of time before uh, these five foot six guys who think they're six foot six are going to show up and they're going to bring some pain on our life and say that we cannot worship Jesus in this environment. What are we going to do? You will be attacked verbally. You will be attacked by Satan. He will come into your life and tell you, you're not good enough. Greg wasn't talking to you. The Lord's eyes aren't on you. He's going to do that. I promise he will. If you decide you want to be about it, one demon is going to turn and look eyes with you and say, I'm going to whoop your tail, bro, if you decide to do this. And here's what I want to say, brothers. Surround yourself with other brothers and then turn and look at him and say, bring it. That's what I'm saying. I got some young dudes. They see me do this all the time, right? Like, but enough of that. Bring it. And here's the last thing. <clears throat> Your brothers are going to turn on you. Some of you will turn on us. If you don't expect it, then you are naive. Satan is working on some of you in this room right now, and he wants you to be the Judas of this congregation. I'm telling you. You can hurt me, you can murder me, you can kill me. But at the end of the day, whatever you do to me, will be nothing will compare to what God will do to you in the end if you do not repent and turn to him. Stop being a servant of Satan. Repent, go to Jesus. Our wives and our children need us to do it, man. Let's do it. All right? Galatians 6, 9. Do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Right? Go look it up. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord our labor is not in vain. Men, let's do it. Let's do it. Now, he says it's an evil and wicked generation who does this, but generations are made up of individuals. So it really comes down to this. Don't sit around waiting for the generation to finally get on board. Don't wait for me to be faithful. You choose to be faithful. And if you choose to be faithful, we're one person closer to a generation that loves Jesus.